Good morning and welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Land and I'm here with Lou and Rocky. Look at here's Rocky. Rocky's Rocky. joining us. Yep. Rocky's back. Rocky's been with me for the past week. Look at how cute he is. Oh my god. Oh my god. We're <laughs> late today because Rocky was the hit of the downstairs and all the staff of the station. Of course, yeah. And so we had a little rough time getting up the stairs. Look at how cute the face. He's so like, look tiny. At, look at that. Yeah. Oh, the boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm so far so good. Aren't you happy because he's here? I am happy. Isn't he adorable? I love dogs. Oh, good. He's going to sit down on the, because last time when he was here, he sat on my lap and he made me so <laughs> He's only three and a half pounds. So he's sitting gosh. on the table now? He is. Yeah. And hopefully he'll just pass out and be tired because he has been rocking and rolling since six o'clock this morning. We've been on a two mile walk. Oh, wow. We have run around the house like a banshee. We've chased every cat in my house. <laughs> two, mi two miles is like 10 miles for that dog. I know, but he, he, miles. Has, I, he goes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's got, he's a bundle of energy. He is. And, and he is, and it, it's nice and cool in the morning. So it's like, get it done. So he, this yep. is our last day together for a while. Yeah. So I had him for the past week and I love him. He's going to go home to his parents though. Okay. So See, anyway. Are you a dog person instead of a cat person? What? Are you a dog person more than a cat person now? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Never. 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 Yeah. I, I, I love all animals. You know that. Sure. So we all love all animals. But I prefer a cat, but he's because he's smaller. I don't think I would do a big dog. Big dogs. The smell kills me. So. Not that anyone really cares, but big dogs smell just, ugh, yeah, just overwhelming. He smells too. When he smells, it's bad. I had to bathe him. Oh, by the way, not that anyone else cares about this either, but I just have to tell you, I have got <laughs> the system down to wash this dog. Okay. Remember the first time when I was just covered and it was like yep. water was everywhere and soap and I was soaking wet. Yep. Yeah. I can do the whole thing in under six minutes now. From start to finish. Doing it in a soup bowl? What are you doing? No. I put, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I put him in the little soup bowl. No, I um, I have, uh, I just put him in the tub and put my feet in the tub with him and just, he can't get out. <laughs> oh, okay. What were you doing before? Sink? And yes. Okay. In the kitchen. That was. See, I would have gone sink. Yeah. I mean, it was on the ceiling. I mean, it was, <laughs> we videotaped it and John was like, I'm going to put it on Facebook. I'm like, oh, no, we're not. You're not putting that on Facebook because I was a little verklempt. Okay. I love that word. Verklempt so, usually sounds like sadly emotional. Um, well, it's more like verklempt is like kind of constrained and upset. Oh, okay. Really? I don't know. You should look it up. Choked up. Verklempt. Yeah. I was, I was consider like, it oh, choked up. You know, like, yeah. not like choked up sad. No, I wasn't sad. Yeah. I was rather annoyed <laughs> with my lack of ability, not with him, but with my lack of ability of washing the darn dog. So anyway, yeah, do you ever bathe the cats? Oh no, they they're self bathing, which is a plus because they don't stink like you do. Not you, for everybody. <laughs> no, I see. Well, there's a lot of people that are listening, not watching. So oh, yeah, I didn't true. say that Lou yep. smelled. I said that you sometimes stink like swamp ass. He does sometimes. Ugh. I'm not big on little dogs, but I like him. He's a nice boy. You're going to look at me. He's a good boy. Um, so anyway, there's something to be said for all the animals because we know that they make us feel good, right? Yeah. Um, so last week's show got tons of people asking me tons of questions. I'll bet. 
Um, so Michelle, Michelle Michelizzi was on last week and we will definitely be, she and I are having a nice little chat um, after the holiday weekend mm -hmm. um, to talk about future things and future shows and future stuff and da da da. Mm. So we will definitely be talking about coming back on together and so on and so forth. And we have some a maybe second some, show, huh? A second show, maybe? Yes, and some other ventures going on. Nice. Is it okay that the dog just walked on the keyboard? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. As long as he doesn't pee on it, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be okay, helpful if he sure didn't. Because yeah. he's walking all over the place. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so for people that gave me questions and so on and so forth, I have stored the questions in mind. Um, I have answered a lot of people back in general about some of the questions that were asked anyway, mm -hmm. um, but um, not really relevant to this week's show. So, and I was very excited to um, do this week's show. I had a pre-plan because if she didn't come on last week, I was going to do a specific topic and it's going to be this week. And then in light of the fact that we are not going political on this, we're just talking about it in terms of Lou. Why? Lou, we're not going political. We're why going to you do go my, there it's my first. show. No, my show. no. But I mean, why are you worried about that? Because I worry. <laughs> Everybody worries. Yeah. Um, but not. we're not talking specifically about the Supreme Court's stupid ruling and bad decision making and my personal opinion about that, which I will because I can because of my show. Um, but it will relate to a little piece of um, I'm doing the biopsychosocial model of like depression and mental health and addiction mm -hmm. and anxiety today. And so um, there's a piece of that has to do with some of the social um, model of that biopsychosocial model of, of mental health. And so it will, I will wrap that into it because I'd be remiss to ignore a very large thing that has happened in the country in the past week. Right. Are you being quiet now? Why? Well, I, you said you didn't want to get political. Well, I don't. Unless, well, unless, unless it's going to be productive to the mental health factor of this. No. Well, I think discussing it on a pragmatic level would help the nation's mental health well, around well, this particular issue. That's what we're going to do. And the pragmatic level is that the Supreme Court is there to judge the Constitution. Abortion See, isn't a constitutional right. We're not. We're not. It's just not. We are going to have to stop talking about this, yeah. aren't we? Okay. So the biopsychosocial model. But, Listen for a second. But what what is happening is the country is taking this as something that it's not. And so that's what that's what caused that's what causing all the upset here. Well, no, but that's okay. Yeah. But, okay. So the biopsychosocial model. So here's here's the thing: is is mental and health. And I'm pro-choice, by the way. Huh? And I'm pro-choice, by the way. Thank God. This isn't that. about abortion. This is, about this is about the Supreme Court's role oh, in the God, Constitution. My screen off. Okay. So I'm glad that you're pro-choice. And an pro-choice doesn't mean you're not pro-life, but it's different. So we can absolutely talk about that. Right. But I think you and I should talk about that before we put it on, on air, just so that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so that we don't have an issue. Um, but it may come up today in that way anyways, but that's okay. Um but I really want to talk about, and I'm going to link that all together in the biopsychosocial model. But the biopsychosocial model is is really what is the um, overall psychological foundation and psychiatric association in this country and in many other countries. It's how we really look at mental health as a whole, because it is 
the way to look at it. It's all the things encapsulated together. And so when we look at psychiatry and people who are trained in the biomedical model, so think of think of mental health in four quadrants. It's the biomedical piece, which is mm-hmm. like your genetics, your um, you know your immunity systems, your endocrine system, your um, your uh, hormone system, your central nervous system, all the systems, right? Well, when you go to your your typically trained biomedical person, which is your primary care person, your psychiatrist, your you know orthopedic surgeon, people who are bio biologically trained in just the medical field will stick to that specifically. It's very rare, but it's becoming much more common to see people who are trained outside of that box. So that biomedical model only focuses on, you know, basically, which we've talked about a lot is, is it's not your issue, it's your body's issue, Mm -hmm. which takes the onus off a person for having responsibility for what they can do to create health for themselves. So someone says, oh, well, I'm genetically predisposed and I have a gene for blah, blah, blah. First of all, let me put out there that there is no specific, there is no specific gene for depression. There isn't. And people will say, yes, there is. My mother had it and therefore, no, there's actually no gene for depression. There are a combination of factors that go in biomedically to the gene pool that can predispose you, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have that. And that's why there's, Mm -hmm. it's such an important thing to talk about the biopsychosocial model. Same with you know, alcohol. We know that there are genes for alcoholism and addiction and for some anxiety push and things like that, but it's not just the one thing. It's all the things. And the biomedical model does not focus on that at all. It focuses on um, treat, treat the moving parts as individuals and not the whole. And so the perspective that I come from in, in psych is holistic and natural, but it, which does not mean that I'm not I'm not pro um, medicine. I am pro medicine if it's necessary because the other functional systems that are being utilized for coping strategies and emotional Mm -hmm. work and all those things aren't working. However, people, as we know in this country, tend to go right to the biomedical model because it's what we're trained to do. It's what we know. The doctor is the authority. The doctor says, take this pill. Then you come back and you say you're having all these other things that have to do with probably taking the pill before you get another pill and so on and so forth. Isn't he cute? He's looking over the window, <laughs> staring at into, me into Lou's <laughs> yep. eyes. So the biomedical piece is important, but that's hyper focused on in this country. And and let me back it up a little bit. In psychology, we base um, we base a lot of what we have uh, understand these diagnoses on 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 our book. It's called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual um, for Psychiatric Illness, right? So and we're in the fifth edition with a with a TR, which means it's been updated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, we we have a very specific way of. <laughs> he's sne- oh my god! You should see what he's doing to the computer. Okay, I'm no longer on the screen. Okay. Um, we have a specific way of designating. Um, well, I'm out. Um, of designating what diagnostic criteria make us labeled as having something, but we don't actually have any good scientific like research that says specifically how to give that criteria some backing in terms of it's not research-based specifically, it's big pharma-based. Mm-hmm. So the DSM largely back in the day was written 
mostly by men. It's been updated over the years by mostly men in the medical model. Not saying it's because of men, but it's been men who've been in the biopharm right. sector yep. pushing the diagnostics so that if you meet X criteria that has no real science um, base of like the body, mind, and, and the connection to the environment, then that's you. You have this thing. So if I ask someone, "Have you ever had depression?" People will usually say yes. Um, but it's on a continuum. Depression is a continuum of things. But if I say, have you ever had major depressive disorder? Well, that's a very specific set of criteria that come into play. Or have you ever had um, an ism, right? Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, alcohol, drugs, eating, um, gambling, sex, etc. So most people will say, well, no, because they don't know what the criteria is. But many people would actually fit Oh my God, you have no idea what's happening over here. <laughs> Can you see what's happening? No, on my I can't. Side? Oh, on the other is he side gonna, of the like, he's laying on the keyboard. He, oh, my screen's completely gone. Well, if you can live without the screen, I am fine. Yeah. Um, that's fine. So, so the, the criteria has been what um, psychiatrists, the biomedical piece, really focus on like, oh, if you've met, if you've met the two weeks of this and the four weeks of that, and you have these two symptoms and blah, 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 then we can put Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft and all those things to it, which is why when you go into your primary care, they have you fill out a very face valid 21 question Beck depression inventory. Oh, you, I mean, clearly I could, if I want to be depressed, I can show you that I'm depressed and now yep. you'll give me a medication and then maybe three others because I show you that on that self report that I am. Right. Um, that is sort of meaningless because you have to really be able to look at the whole picture and, and not knocking by biomedical doctors, which are medical doctors, but you have the rarity to find someone who really looks holistically and listens to all the pieces and all the things. And we talk about this all the time, how important all the pieces are. So depression, anxiety, um, addiction, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, all these things, they come from a bigger picture of not just all the moving parts as a one thing, it's all the moving parts as a whole. Right. And so what the focus is when in practice is looking at the psychosocial piece, which is um, taking what we, what I just talked about, but also looking at all the thoughts a person has, because thoughts are really what drive a mental health issue. Right. Really it is. And um, okay. Hold on one second because he's really something he's really messed up the computer hold on all right <laughs> okay i don't know what he's done but the computer is just for you so if you can live without it that's fine i'm fine i know but it's not like affecting the blinking. broadcast i know but there's yeah. that stuff blinking out okay. so it's well, distracting we'll don't straighten it out i'm not yelling don't yell at me <laughs> okay regaining my con composure here okay so the um these thought process that we have creates this narrative now, I've talked about this all in bits and pieces over the years before, right? But right. This, the thought process that we have that people, when I ask them, what are you thinking? They say nothing. That is not true. Your thought process really is what's driving your behavior, what's driving your feeling, what's driving your emotional coping strategy, your behavioral coping strategy, and then also integrating that in your social piece. And the social piece really encompasses all the other things. That's your socioeconomic status. That's your cultural pieces, your community, your belief system religious-wise, um, your schooling, your education piece, uh, all those things, you know, we'll just put it as things. So you're... Lou's very distracted with the dog. I am, well, I was expecting I him to go off the table. Do you think I'm going to let him go off the table? 
I'm well, there are points on the table of, that are out of your reach. He's not out of my reach. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Clearly. <laughs> okay. I thought I was distracted. Okay. So um, the biopsychosocial model is super important to look at because we really have to look at those four quadrants. And, and when we look at that, you can help a person better. And so take the biomedical piece off the table mm -hmm. for a second, because we got that piece. The country has that piece. We're very heavily invested in big pharma. Big pharma pushes us. We, yep. I mean, I could give you some stories in the past six months that I've had to deal with, with some doctors around their yep. pharmaceutical dispensary uh, issues um, and, and messing clients up and messing people up in general and family members mm -hmm. that, you know, which we've talked about. Yep. Um, but when we look at the psychosocial model piece, which is, how you're raised, who you're raised by, where you're raised, what part of the country you're raised in, what kind of finances are behind you, what kind of resources do you have for, for all things, mm -hmm. right? Um, schooling, um, jobs for families, um, medical access, uh, which is which part of the piece of, you know, the Supreme Court ruling this week is, is part of medical access that's, that's ability to have females are more prone to depression for a variety of reasons, mm -hmm. way more than men. And the biopsychosocial model definitely addresses like that piece. We're going to have a serious problem with female rise in mental health issues because of what has happened over the past week. Um, and that's based on that cult sociocultural piece of the four quadrants that will impact them for a variety of reasons. So, you know, we imagine that like the pandemic, two years of being in social isolation for people, we know that when a brain is socially isolated and doesn't have people, he's biting me, when he does, I shouldn't send you over to Lou. Um, when, <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> when the brain doesn't have social interaction, we are not getting the social interaction neurotransmitters that need to happen to be built for right. um, health. So when a person's socially isolating, we don't have serotonin. Serot or we don't have as much creation of serotonin in our bodies. When we are not coping correctly and we're doing behaviors that are not coping in a healthy way and we're around toxic people and we're doing those kinds of things, our serotonin gets depleted. So, and when we don't go outside and we're not getting sunlight and we're not running around and we're not moving and we don't get our butts off the couch, our serotonin does not work. And therefore, why is that important? Well, every drug that's put out by biomed is for depression has some kind of serotonin base in it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the biomed is at least smart enough to know that that is the thing that we replace to get people into their better state. But that doesn't mean say someone has a big, big trauma or someone has a death in the family or something like that happens and it's really traumatic or it's sad. A pill is not going to fix that serotonin level because of a situation that happens. A situation has coping strategies and thought processes in, that, that then make feelings that come out of that, that then turn into behaviors. And that is, you know, the grieving process, the mourning, the loss. If we look at it just from like, oh, someone passed away or we had a major trauma because we were at war and we just throw pills at it. We're not addressing the whole four quadrants because we're just addressing one piece. It's, you know, people come to me all the time after 10 years and say, I've been on this medication for 10 years and I don't feel really much better. Why? Hmm. Well, because what else are you doing? Are you, what are you eating? What do you, what is your sleep like? How much exercise do you get? And I will tell you that time and again, and people kind of 
poo-poo it and they roll their eyes, including in my own family sometimes, <laughs> or my family friend members, they roll their eyes at the exercise piece. I encourage you to go and look on any kind of reputable website that has to do with understanding how to cure your own self or or help repair some of the damage that's going on in your brain um, because you're not broken. There's nothing necessary to fix, but you have to re-regulate yourself. Yeah. And it's exercise. Why? Because, okay, enough. It's it's the primary response. And it happens to be the easiest and it's the most effective. Yes. Yeah. And people don't really believe that because we are such a country based in the biomedical model so heavily that doctors don't prescribe Doctors will tell you, oh, you should, you know, make sure you eat right and exercise and all that stuff. Don't smoke and don't drink. But but then there's no template for it. Right. And so when you come to me and you come to some of my counterparts, we heavily put the four pieces together that, you know, if you know, I have people that come sometimes with 10 medications on board and I cringe because half of them are treating what the other half are are, are treating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And so we, you know, and we work together. I work Probably from several different sources, which right. don't and coordinate. Are. And yeah. they are, especially when you're working with people with addiction issues, they will cross contaminate treaters in hopes to get lots of prescriptions. And one of the best things that pharmaceutical companies have done, even though it's much to their dismay, is they now have to, especially with schedule four drugs and, and, and drugs that are addictive and things like that, they have to monitor it on, you know, cross cross systems on pharmacies because they can't have so many people getting multi yeah. remember back when oxycontin came yeah. out okay i have to hold for a second you're naughty <sighs> captain naughty pants i don't know why you're biting me he's okay bored <laughs> he, okay well i'll send him to you would okay, you like send him, him? Over, sure, send okay him over. go see lou go see lou go no, I didn't say you were boring. It just I didn't say you said I was boring and I didn't hear it like that, but clearly <laughs> like, yeah. boring, huh? I'll send them to you. <laughs> um no, I thought you said he was bored. It's like we're parenting a child. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so sorry for all the listeners out there because yeah. Rocky's biting me. Um so the what was I just saying? You're talking about exercise as a primary treatment for mental health. It, oh, but yes, and yeah. but I was also talking about how um, the, the pill, the false lead of what a pill will do or what it, it takes the onus off a person yes. to not do for themselves what they could be doing because they got themselves into the place that they are. And one of the biggest misnomers and falsehoods about depression and anxiety and, and addiction is that a person's broken. A person's brain is broken. It's chemistry. It has nothing yep. to do, if, and, and inclusive of people who are obese or anorexic and have eating disorders, yep. right? Or people who have weight issues. It's the same exact thing. It's, the pill it, absolves them. It's genetic. I grew up yeah. and my parents were heavy. It's in my genes. No, 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 no. Yep. That is not, it, it may be, but how do you explain someone that grows up in a household with someone who has that and doesn't have those particular issues. If you grew up in a household with a mother who's depressed, that does not mean you will be depressed, but people will say, oh my God, I grew up in a household with yep. depression. I'm going to be depressed. I am going to be, um, you know, I'm going to be a failure. I'm never going to make it because I have it in my blood. That's not true. It's that psychosocial piece that has to be looked at that just because you're around that doesn't mean that you have to be that way. However, there is something to be said for the social emotional modeling that happens and 
in your life around your growing up years and all the things that you surround yourself with that increases the likelihood that you might be more depressed or might be more anxious person because it's modeled for you. Mm. If you're in an addiction household, you're more likely going to be that way, not because of the gene only or the gene push. It's going to also be because it's what you see. It's what you think is the norm. I mean, look at people that will say, I never grew up in a household that said that they loved anybody, or I never grew up in a household that ever gave hugs or affection. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was the norm. And then I went to my friend's house and their parents were always hugging and kissing and telling each other, I loved you. And it blows people's minds because they just don't know that model. But all, all the things combined with the biopsychosocial as a whole are what make a person really healthy mentally or not. And so I encourage people to really look at all the pieces that come into their lives and not just be unmotivated or, and I hate the word lazy, but lazy that you're not able to fix what's broken because you're not broken. And, you've, and if you're buying into the fact that you're broken and you can't fix it, then then you're going to be stuck. People will grab opportunities to absolve themselves from responsibility. Right. The pill, the uh, taking a pill that quote unquote fix the problem means the problem wasn't internal. It wasn't right. your fault. The right. pill, pill will fix it. Right. People will take every opportunity to absolve themselves of responsibility, especially when the alternative involves some in work and some persistence. Well, and people, when they hear that they have X, Y, and Z that is chemical in their heads because this country, the biomedical model has pushed that it's chemical, it's chemical, it's chemical, yeah. it's chemical. You have a chemical imbalance. We, yes, we have neurotransmitters that can become chemically imbalanced, but they become chemically imbalanced not just because of our genetics. They become chemically imbalanced because we don't eat right, because we don't exercise, because we don't surround right. ourselves with good, healthy people. or We're in toxic relationships or toxic friendships or toxic whatever. If you have a good balance or you're working on those things, as long as you're not sitting stagnant, those things will get better. But when you buy into the it's chemical, it's chemical, it's chemical, it's chemical, and not look at because you're you're afraid of well if it's not chemical it must be a character flaw and yeah. if i look at it as a character flaw then i have to do something about it and that makes me bad so the people people in general not just a few not people just with a mental health issue people in general human beings do not like looking at that yep. piece it's much easier to externalize and go oh i have no control over that and that's that's a load of yep shit because it, can you believe I just swore? Yes, I like it. <laughs> I I don't think I've actually ever said that word. Because the on mental my show. mental stigma is still tough for people to accept that you to accept that you are depressed mm -hmm. is to accept a mental health problem which still has a stigma attached to it. And it's not necessarily a mental health problem as it is. It's just a condition that you're in that you need to try to resolve. Right. And, and what are the parts to resolve that? You have to look at, you know, I, I call it the wellness wheel. You can look online. There's tons of wellness wheels out there that you can do, but you have to have context for it. So you have to create a wellness wheel. What's in your, what's in your biopsychosocial wellness wheel? What's going on for you genetically? What's going on for you medically? What's going on for you as in terms of pain or like a physical ailment? Then you have to look at what are you doing in terms of your thoughts? What are you doing in terms of your emotions? What are your coping strategies? What is your social scenario? What's your socioeconomic status? What are you buying into around you that's a narrative that becomes your talk point too, that becomes the 
you know, I can't do anything to fix. I'll never be loved. I won't. I'm always going to be a failure. I'm always going to be an addict. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to be fat. I'm, that is all just a bought in narrative mm -hmm. that changes the brain chemistry of your serotonin and your oxytocin and your endorphins and your norepinephrine and your dopamine. Now, what are and all And contributes, if not causes, a lot of your medical issues. It, well, yes, and that's and that's a, such a good point because when we look at um, when you look at the biomedical model, it won't talk about that yeah. because it's just piece. Each piece is its separate piece that doesn't create the whole. But when we when I talk about those things, they all connect to each other. They're all the mind and body and social aspect of your life are always talking and influencing each piece of your movement going forward mm -hmm. on a daily every second, every choice you make, everything affects your brain chemistry. Like right now, we're because we're talking and we're being social, we're producing, we don't even probably realize it, obviously, but we're talking about it. We're producing dopamine because we're happy, we're talking, we're, you know, we're intellectualizing, we're connected, we're producing oxytocin, mm -hmm. we're producing serotonin because it's the feel-good mood regulator. But when we don't do those things, you go into the proneness of maybe what you have is a genetic push towards, there's, even though there's not a gene for depression specifically, you might be more depressed because you're isolating. Yep. You know, when the pandemic is such a great example of the problem of, of just looking at the biomedical piece, there was such an increase in, in um, people seeking out medication and drinking and mm -hmm. domestic violence and drug use because what people are looking for things to fix it quickly but that doesn't fix anything quickly it just keeps you isolated the whole thing is you have to get and that's why all those shows that i did during the pandemic you don't have to go and sit in a store and shop you, you need to get <laughs> outside you need to do some exercise you still need to eat right you know people are like oh i did, gained 25 pounds over the pandemic but people will treat, in the pandemic's case, people treated symptoms more than the problems. Mm -hmm. For example, I'm bored well, right. or I, I'm isolated. I'm going to eat. That makes me feel better for the time being. Right. But it starts to con contribute to all kinds and, of other issues. Well, and, and if we look at the, so if we look at the biology of that, because people love looking at like, oh, well, I can't do anything about it. When you, we'll take eating. When you eat for self-soothing, mm -hmm. like if you take a pill to self-soothe, right? Even if it's Zoloft or Prozac or whatever you're taking or Trazodone or Seroquel for sleep or whatever it is, when you eat for self-soothing, you're triggering the brain mechanism that's an emotional center called the hypothalamus that turns on and off to regulate your hunger, your thirst, your sex drive, your motivation, all those pieces that drives, drives you mm -hmm. or doesn't drive you. And the more you train that part of your brain, the emotional part of that system to keep going to the soothing thing, you're going to just keep doing that, which is why yeah. people gained weight or or people starve themselves, which I don't have any of that happening over the pandemic. I did not have people. No. I got people that definitely got in shape because we did plans around that that really were motivated. But many people had that problem going the other direction in addition to, you know, maybe having someone pass away during the time, you know, people um, having issues of, you know, losing a job and then they self-soothe with something. Yep. So it's so important to look at what are you self-soothing with 
And why are you doing that? And what can you replace it with as a behavior that's healthier? So you have a better coping strategy because one, one of those big pieces that you have to look at is what are your coping strategies? Are your coping strategies healthy? Are they, are they things that, um, you know, if your coping strategy is to sit home on the couch and watch TV or game or lay in bed or, you know, get up and go to the refrigerator and come back, which a lot of people have done and it's increased. That's all that's going to do is increase the likelihood that you're going to be depressed, that you're going to have anxiety, that you're going to have some kind of mental health issue. Doesn't this um, highlight the observer position thing that I'm so fond of? Yes. It's because what happens is when you are soothing yourself with food, you're listening to your mind. Yes. And you're not your mind. Right. Your mind is just a way of regulating the body and, and just giving well, you the impulses. So you're listening to your thoughts. So for yeah. people that don't connect with what you're saying, because right, just yeah. for a different sure. slant, it's your is you are not your thoughts. But if you think that you are, yeah, and you keep thinking that you are, it's going to perpetuate that. So yeah. yes, I always equate it to like you're walking your dog, right? And your dog starts barking and is scared. It, do you get scared? No, you say that's my dog, right? And then you try to deal with it, right? And that's your mind is walking your dog the exactly. mind is a different thing it's it's regulating your body it's it's throwing stimulus at you your mind gets well i'm not even sure mind is the right word but as well, a person you get to decide on that stimulus well you're coping so so it's a combination it's 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 how you're thinking the thought you have mm -hmm. then what that thought means into you right because that's your you regulate that by a perceptive piece of like what that means to you so if you I'm going to break it down to if you were raised in an environment where I'm just going to use this as great because it's a common example. I'm, I'm in a family that's heavy. I have genes that make me heavy. Mm -hmm. I will always be heavy. I can't do anything about it. I'll always be fat. So it doesn't matter. I'll keep eating. That's such a big load of BS yeah. because that is your dog walking you. Yep. Your dog is walking you and you don't have any sense of control. So you're not an observer, which means that you're stepping back and looking at what am I doing to contribute to this? When someone says to me, well, I'm genetically like this. I can't change it. BS, BS, BS. <laughs> it's a, it, across the board. Yeah. Across the board. The only time I ever make exceptions to that rule on occasion is when we have severe organic illness, like when yeah. it's extreme schizophrenia, extreme bipolar disorders that really are heavily like over into the psychotic side. But when we get them regulated in on the on a minimal good amount of biomed piece, which is the pill part or the medication part, we still add in all that stuff. But when so I don't treat I have one person who's schizophrenic currently and that's it. And, the, and so I sort of put that aside right now because that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking more mainstream stuff. And yep. when we look at it, it's like you have to look at if you're buying into your thought process, if you're buying into that narrative and, and um, storyline that, you know, intergenerationally and interfamilially has been passed down, uh, then it's a setup for failure. You always ask the question if you're absolving responsibility. And and you always have to ask that question. Business, right. Yeah. Is, and that's part of the that's part of medical field and also yeah. psych field is that people people are always buying into the BS. Yeah. And the truth is you have much more control over your outcomes than you give yourself credit for. Mm -hmm. Because uh, understanding that you have control over your outcomes gives you responsibility. 
Right. And a lot of people don't want to take on that responsibility. Right. And, and, and this is not to say that depression doesn't exist or that anxiety oh, sure. does like people suffer and people, but it's have... usually a result of that cycle. Well, then this, and that's to my point Yeah, is that when, you know, when we, when we don't perform well in sports, it's not because we don't know. I mean, unless you're brand new, it's not because we don't know how it's not because we don't have the training. It's not mm -hmm. because we don't have the techniques. It's, it's because we haven't implemented them. Right. So if you go out and you throw a wild pitch somewhere, well, what happened? Yeah. You're a great pitcher. You go out and you swing a golf club and it hooks or shanks. Right. It's not because you didn't know how to play unless you're a beginner and you're just learning. Right. It's because you didn't implement what you know or something happened in your thought process. Right. All mm -hmm. sports in life are very much the same. Everything happens between the five inches between one ear to the other. It's not about anything else unless you're a beginner. If you're learning something new, that's what you're learning. But once it's integrated in, you know, it's there. Then it's your choice mm -hmm. to then decide what skill am I going to implement here to make sure that I'm functioning at my tip top, which is the whole premise of my show is how do you have your best, healthiest life? And it's by implementing. It's by thinking thoughts that are generated to to alternatively move you out of a bad spot, which does not mean Pollyanna and sugarcoat. Right. It means being realistic, rational, and reasonable. There's an I three R's mm -hmm. to really talk to yourself about how do I move myself out of this? And unfortunately, and I see this a lot in my practice, people want to, nobody wants to be depressed. Nobody wants to be anxious. Nobody wants to be fat. Nobody wants to be thin, skinny or suffering or, you know, whatever the ism is, right? Oftentimes people don't know how to get themselves out because they have a limited social scope. So they don't have the resources at their hands, but when you open the door and show them that they do have the resources that helps them yeah. um, because people just don't have access. I call it lack of exposure, right? Some people like I grew up in a little town in Vermont, the resourcing was very low in my town for a <laughs> lot of things, yeah. but my family, we, we didn't stay in that town. We, we shopped in a different state. <laughs> we shot, we did things that were out and about. Right. And also of course I was in gymnastics. So I was, all over the country, et cetera. So, but the resourcing around people is super important. And when people don't leave their area, they don't know the access. Now that could be educationally, it could be money-wise, it could be community-wise, it could be all those things, but people don't take into account that that's contributing to their issue mm -hmm. because they've bought into, I can't change. So I have, I mean, one of the, one of the most interesting cases that I've seen in terms of a student I had probably 10 years ago now, and I think I've told you the story. He, um, he was the first in his locally, right? So you can imagine like the, I won't, I won't name the towns, yep. but very, for the listeners, we have surrounding areas around here that are very low socioeconomic status. And we have some that are really high and they're intermingled in between, but particularly the ones that have the lower socioeconomic status often have the projects in them and they have people who, you know, they're on welfare and they're on other things, which there's nothing wrong with. People are trying to get their leg up and they're doing their, yep. their work and all those things, many people. And I had this one kid in my class who came in, he was the first person in his family of 11 that all lived together in one of the surrounding towns that went to college. Mm -hmm. And he, I was one of his classes and he fought all semester to come to my class because his family unfortunately, and this is part of that social piece, his family, every time he'd leave Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in the morning to come to my class, would do everything they could to sabotage him from coming by saying things to him like, um, who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than us? Yeah. You know, do you think you're smarter? What do you think? You think you're going to, you think you're going to ever leave and all yeah. these things. And he used to come in late 
and I have a late policy and then and he would struggle but he was a great student and I wanted such good things for him because his social exposure environment was depressing to him mm-hmm. he had you know gang activity in his family he had drug abuse in his family he had a murderer in his family he had all these yeah. things working against him and he had all the 100% potential in the world and the, and so I sort of followed him along for like three or four years in terms of like he checked in and he went on to do other things for schooling. And it was a two-year college and he never finished. Oh. And I don't know where he is now, but I would imagine because the struggle was so hard and so real. Just pulling him and back he down. he didn't yeah. address all yeah. the things and get himself out. That, that that's one of my points is that he struggled. He had anxiety. He had all those things, but he was a self-observer. He knew all these things. Now I liken that when I teach my class now, and I talk about that story when I teach about this, that you can take him. And then on the other side, you have someone like Marshall Mathers, AKA, do you know who Marshall Mathers is? No, I don't. I don't think. Eminem. Oh, Eminem. Okay. Eminem. Yeah. So yeah. Eminem grew up in an environment that I would liken is similar to this kid that I was teaching. Now we know Eminem has come out of the, wee, he's done yeah. beautifully, right? I mean, he still has his stuff and he'll talk about it. He's very clear and his music is very clear about his life. But he his social emotional narrative and his biopsychosocial was loaded with all the same kind of things. And he had a mother with Munchausen's by proxy, which, you know, yep. right? So if people don't know what that is, please look it up, Munchausen's by proxy. Um, but um it's another it's another way of dragging people down it's another way of dragging people down you yeah. know you have a parent or someone in your primary caregiver environment that makes you unhealthy makes you sick yeah. because they're sick mm-hmm. so they they parallel you and project out onto you to make you be the sick one but in fact it's them right. that's a short version of it yeah. um but he grew up <clears throat> in low socioeconomic status low self-esteem um depressive environment anxiety environment uh alcohol and drug around him all the same stuff but what happens is the biopsychosocial model would say that he, even though all those factors were against him, he re- he had resilience for the same reason. The resilience in him to make him be successful was also the same process that was working against him. It was working for him. Same thing with that kid that I was teaching. It was working against him and could have worked for him, but he was lacking resourcing of his own to get the get it enough. Now, whether that was a thought process that was happening, a coping strategy he was missing, a social... I don't know because I only knew him from the academic perspective and watching him from the outside. But it's not a matter of like, well, the odds are stacked against me, so therefore I can't. It's not about like, well, I grew up, I grew up in the project, so I can't get out. Or I grew up, you know, and I've always been blue collar, so I'm always going to be blue collar. It's not like that. It's it's complex and very important to look at it like it's not just as simple as just take a pill and we're fixed. It just doesn't work like that. Or get surgery and it'll fix. You know, people have these foot injuries and they have pain issues. And I know I'm like kind of rambling through all these different things, but it all is the same. You can have different things like this, but it's a matter of how much are you putting the four quadrants together and working on them. If you have a pain issue, pain creates emotional dysregulation. Chronic pain creates depression and anxiety. And if you were in a household where a parent or someone else has chronic pain and their go-to is to take, let's take tramadol, let's take all these things for it and and flexural for muscle relaxers and then take a sleep med and then have some drinks on top of it. Well, your psychosocial model is now that we don't do any work. We just jump to something that's a quick fix to fix it for ourselves. And then what? So I go back to the sport model, which is 
it's the biopsychosocial model is like you take care of your body, your mind and your environment and you make them work together in the best way possible and they'll work for you. You will not have that need to self-soothe. You won't have that need to go and do instant gratification as much. And there's nothing wrong with quick times, you know, once in a while having like, I want that or sure. I'm going to do yeah. But it's a matter of can you do the balance? And it's a lifelong journey. Nobody's perfect. But mental health is not as simple as, oh, I'm genetically predisposed and I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to lay down or I have diabetes. I have three clients right now with diabetes. Two of them are doing beautifully. One is not and, and fights me on this model, but sticks with me, but fights me on it because they know that it's correct, right. but they don't want to do the work. But the other two are doing the work because they don't want one doesn't want to lose their foot. Right. Yeah. Right. One would like to not lose their foot because they're an athlete, but they have this this issue with their sugar and all these things. And now they're insulin dependent. So that's it. But they can still regulate in. Now, if people are just for this case, if you're not insulin dependent and you're on that edge, you can turn your numbers around. And it's not with three different medications. You can turn your numbers around by doing healthy social emotional thought narratives and all the things you combine in and be active 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 so as you know like i'm doing you know the the human baton right mm -hmm. yep great example you know oftentimes when people see television shows and things out there that are like superstar and you get these you know like american ninja warrior people are out there like wow you know yeah and they train and train and train the human baton has this amazing piece to it where, and, and I've been working on this in terms of like a women's initiative and because women tend to look at motorsports, we're a big motorsport piece, right? We're like cars and drift cars and jumping out of planes and riding endurance horses and mm -hmm. thundercat boats. And that's typically very male dominated. And, and, and I only bring that up because it's, it's short change in the social environment for where women could be involved. So it's about where can an access point come in for someone that doesn't typically have that. And so that's where, Hey, you want to do something that's different. You want to try something that's challenging. You've been in a sport until you were in college and now you feel like you don't know what else to do because your whole identity was wrapped up in being a swimmer, a diver, a skater, a hockey player, all these things. Well, as a female and a male, you can come in and do like any of the challenges. You don't have to be the superstar athlete. You can be someone that comes right off the couch and does the 10 push-ups and gets on the leaderboard or whatever it is. It's about where can you find your challenge edges, your growth mm -hmm. edges, the places where you feel like, oh, you know, I just I'm just stuck and really push yourself. And so I use that as an example because you know me, I'm always looking for places where how do I help people grow? How do I grow myself, grow, learn, change? And you have to look at all those quadrants to do that. And so, of course, I promote my <laughs> experience in my being the athlete advisor to the human to do that. Yeah. You know, so for people that they they definitely have the ability. And when you think you can't, the first thing you do when you say you can't is that means you won't try. Right. It means you're already done. Yep. So and I grew up in a, an environment in my, in, in Michelle and I were talking about that last week is you, you do a sport that's a high end and you're at a high end. Even you hear this in like little league and little, you know, t-ball and all the, the youth soccer, there is no quit. There is no, I can't, you know, you, you finish out your season you don't say, you know, it, you just keep moving forward. Yeah. It's the same thing with that biopsychosocial model is that you don't just give in to one, which is that big pharma, big one thing. It's, how about looking at the whole picture and really being healthy? You don't have to be on medication and just in, and 
I, I was talking about someone this the other day and they, and they were like, well, what if I do all the three other quadrants and I don't have the biomedical piece? I said, you don't need the biomedical piece. You don't need to be on a pill. Yeah. You just need to keep yourself physically healthy. And, and people are like, oh. This is going to sound odd, but it'll, uh, lead, to it, it'll lead to a point where you've been going. So I'm sorry. I've been listening. Uh, this is going to sound, do you watch Queer Eye? What, what, what? The show Queer Eye? Yep. It's, I haven't seen it in a while, but yeah. I think it's an amazing illustration of this cycle. I think what people miss the most, you can tell me if I'm right, is they miss. I will or we won't. Yeah. They miss control. Yeah. They're often stressed by the fact they don't feel they have control. And when they're shown they have more control than they think they have, good things start to happen. And it's just basically sometimes giving a leg up and just demonstrating how you have control. And once you feel you have that control, that's why I used to be 40 pounds heavier. Mm -hmm. And I used to write it off as, well, I'm old. Yeah. Right. I, I and earn, that's that narrative. Yeah. I used to say, well, I earned this. You know, I'm in my, I'm, I'm, I was 57, 58 at the time. I've earned this. You know, I've come to this point and then I had back problems on top of it. And once the back problems got fixed and I realized that it wasn't because of age, it was because I had control over it. Right. Getting some treatment and doing it and, you know, doing what needed to be done to be healthier in that respect, changed things led me to weight loss. Right. And once you get the weight loss and you understand you have that control, it starts to apply to everything else. Well, it's under, I, Instead of absolving control, understanding that you have more control is empowering in many cases. Once think, you get to that understanding. I think the most important piece of that, yes, and mm -hmm. the most important piece of that is right before the control piece is that knowing that you've created the narrative yep. of, well, I'm old. Yeah. Well, I'm fat. Well, I can't help it because it's my genes. My, it's the, it's once you realize that that is BS, yep. then you then can look at it like you just said, that piece that you looked at and said, wait a second. Yep. I have a narrative in my head that's telling me that I can't, I can't. Yep. And, and I think, you know, many, many times on the show, I've said, when you have like a weight issue, both anorexia nervosa, bulimia or overweight, it tends to be obesity. It's just easier to talk about because right. we have such a problem in this country with obesity, right? When people have the narrative that I just can't help it, you know, or I ate that. So I'm just going to, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Right. It's that same thing. It's like, you have control over this. It's not about all or nothing. It's all about what do I have control over? I have to have knee surgery. I have to have hip surgery. Well, did you break your knee? Did you break your hip? No. Well, did we look at what's going on in your body? Well, you're 200 pounds on a five foot three frame. Yeah. That might have something to do with it. Right. And then you get the, and I have this in my, I have two, two clients right now that I think of that we're working on this really specifically. Um, a gentleman that's probably 350 pounds and he's about five, eight. So he's shorter and he's right. And he has ankle issues, knee issues, hip issues, and lower back issues. And he can't, he knows, he knows, and I air quote that, he knows what I'm going to say, but his narrative is so strong. It's contrary constantly in my office to me of, I'm like, because I'll say, well, what are you doing or what are you going to do different to make that better? Mm -hmm. And he's all about, well, the, the doctor told me that we could do surgery. I'm like, how about we just try to lose some weight first? How about we take all the pressure off of all your joints yeah. to see if that will work? Like, let's do OA. Let's go to um, 
you know, a medical, a medical doctor that might help you because mm -hmm. there's some really good um, medications out there right now that are actually not addictive, don't have lots of side effects. And there's where I'm pro this because when people have to have um, some help, as long as they're doing the work, they can get this medical treatment as well. And it's not about, and people have this thing and now I'm on a kick now, wait, <laughs> but people have this mis misconception that if I go get lap band surgery, if I go get yeah. gastric bypass and not lose weight first to show that I can do it, they think they're still going to lose weight and keep it off. People, that's not what happens. You, if you get that, you will lose weight, but then you know what happens? Put it if back you on. don't do those other yeah. pieces that are not the biomedical piece, you will gain the weight back. Mm -hmm. If you have a, a boob reduction and you're overweight, guess what's coming back? Mm -hmm. Same thing. Yep. So it's it's about looking at all the pieces so that you understand that where you have control over is your thought process, your coping strategy, your behavior, and how you are socially involved in your life. So if you're around, if you're working in fast food and you have a weight issue in your family, you probably shouldn't, you can still work in fast food, but you probably shouldn't be eating fries and burgers every day. Right. You have control over that. If you feel like you don't have control over that, maybe you shouldn't work there. Don't in many like lap band surgeries and those type of things, don't they ask you to demonstrate? Oftentimes they require you to demonstrate an awareness of that, right? So, so yes. <laughs> However, so in, in those types of surgeries, right? So in, in anything that's weight related, whether it's um, breast reduction, um, and I put that in there because that's usually a weight issue for a lot of people and also for the lap band. Um, the general rule of thumb of all the doctors I work with, medical doctors, that is their standard. Mm -hmm. Standard of care, standard of treatment. And you'll see on my 600 pound life, doctor now does not allow you to get the surgery because it's dangerous unless you show that you can lose 100 pounds. It depends on the person's weight, but you have to be able to show that you can lose the weight. However, recently it's been brought to my attention that there's doctors practicing around, oh, it yeah. doesn't shock me, that sure. are, they'll just do it just because Yep. <laughs> for all the across the board. I don't agree with that. And that's just an, a medical clinical opinion from the clinical psychology perspective is that I know psychologically human beings, if they do not show themselves that they can do X, Y, and Z to get themselves on the right track. <laughs> excuse me. <Bless. laughs> Thank you. They will not do it post-surgery. Right. It just doesn't happen. That's like people who say, I'm going to take a year or two off and go to college later. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yep. Some people do, and it's not to say, but right. it's the, it's not the norm because people, the brain is, is functioning at that cognitive level of, I, I'm telling myself this. So that's, um, have you ever heard of the concept nocebo? No, I don't think so. Oh, well, yeah. I'm going to teach you something new yes, today. Please. Oh, I love this. So nocebo um, is like placebo, but different. So it's N-O-C-E-B-O. So nocebo is basically the concept of like, if you, I'm going to give you a shot and I walk in my office and I say, I'm, it's just going to hurt a little bit. And all of a sudden you go, oh God. Yeah. And then, and then it hurts. Yeah. It's because I told you it was going to hurt a little bit. If I don't say anything to you, you don't have that anticipatory anxiety or that thought that, oh, it's going to hurt because you don't know. Yeah. And so I have set it up. So it's nocebo happens all around sure. us all the time for all the things I've discussed all morning so far is that we are told 
if I tell you you have control, we would hope that you would take that on. But the problem is, is that we as a country focus on we don't have control. Therefore, the nocebo is yep. we have no control. We have no responsibility. It's a character. It's not a character flaw. It's a chemistry issue. And therefore, because nocebo has taught us that it's not us. It's what's in us right? and we have no control. So I think, you know, if you take anything away from this today is look at all the messages around you all the time that are telling you about nocebo, right? right? That it's going to hurt. It's going to make you skinny. If you take this pill, if you do that surgery, if you do that, it's no, but you believe it. Yep. And it's such a falsehood. It's such a lie. And it's, Where's where's your reasonable, rational, realistic thinking about the the truth of, of how to be and what you have control over? So now I'll bring it back around to the Supreme Court thing for a second, because <laughs> I have to. What do you have control? People all week. This is why I bring it up. People have asked me, what do I have control over? I have no control because people feel helpless. You have control. Vote. Vote. Yeah. And people but people feel disempowered because it's like, ah, it doesn't really make a difference. Vote. Vote, 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 vote. Tell people that you know. Vote, vote, vote. Now, Massachusetts is one thing because we're Massachusetts, right? So we're not going to have the issue that um, Texas and Missouri have or mm -hmm. wherever, you know, the center of the country, right? Right. Um, but you have family members there. Tell them to vote. If they feel strongly about it and they feel like they don't have their access to care and good health care because this has been taken away as a right and all those things, tell them to vote. Because in our state, we don't have that issue. Don't do it. Don't do what? I don't know. I, I, I was waiting. I was like, oh. but it's it's about where do you have control over things? And it's and and people feel this the lack of control. It's like the same, you know, when Black Lives Matter and George Floyd thing happened, people felt helpless. What can I do? Well, there were five, five or 10 or 20 things, depending on where you came from in this country, what you could do. But people feel like if I can't do something big, I can't do anything at all. So that relates to depression, anxiety, drug addiction, um, anything. Mm -hmm. It has to do with, well, where can you? It's generate the social social construct to be able to move the thought and the behavior and the coping strategy to be able to do it. Don't feel helpless and don't feel hopeless. Find people around you that can help generate an idea or a thought process to help you out of whatever it is that's in the way of getting you to function at your best. If, if you have a political thing on your head, if you have a medical thing on your head, if you have a job thing on your head, a family thing, get around a good psychosocial model of people so that you can get good ideas if you're not able to generate them on your own. Instead of sitting in your own shit, get out. Ooh, two in a row. <laughs> it's because Michelle gave me permission last week. Oh, did she? Okay. Yeah. Well, she said she swore. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, I guess we just lost it. But the, so in my office, that's what I'll say is like two people and I am going to swear again. Sorry for the audiences listening. If there's <laughs> kids listening, but um, you have a choice. You're either going to sit in your shit or you're not. People choose to sit in their shit a lot. And why? Not because they want to, even though sometimes they do. It's because they don't know how to get out. And so you have to really look at the pieces that I'm talking about. So they get the, so you get the movement. You have to be willing to look at that. It's a lot of work and people struggle with a lot of work because it's tiring. And so it's that cycle that happens that just take depression alone. If you're not willing to look at how you think and how it's impacting how you feel and then how it's affecting your coping strategy and your behavior, you're going to keep looping around and around and around mm -hmm. into that same thing. 
So something has to change that cycle. Something has to come in and break one of those pieces. And I teach people um, and, and contemporary site teaches people to change the thought process. And it's not as simple as saying, just do it. It's about changing it to something that you truly believe and then baby stepping it so that it accumulates over time. So now I've talked literally you put for 45 your hands on minutes the wheel. and you've had very little to say, although I have shut you down a couple of times. Yeah, I've shut to me down sure. a couple of times. But yeah. what do you have to say? Well, the idea is to just keep your hands on the wheel. Too many people have taken their hands off the wheel. Right. And then again, it's control over your own outcomes. And by the way, once you find, again, once you learn that lesson, and once you find it, once you build that muscle of control, it affects you everywhere in your life. Right. And it's encouraging and it's actually becomes a lot of fun at that point. It, and, it, and it absolutely does. Um, um, I just have certainly quick, more fun. I, yes, I have a quick question. Yes. Do we have any comments? Or no, we don't. Take? People see this is a principle of talk radio that, that I've been expounding oh, yeah. for years. When the subject is good, people don't comment. They listen. Oh. And so I think you've been giving us a lot of great information. I think they've been listening. Oh, well, that's good. I hope because I can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no comments. Right oh, now, but people oh I do listen. have a comment. What are you saying? I don't have uh, a just comment. Happened, just happened right now. Here, hi, hi, Kathy. Yes, vote, 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 vote. Thank you, Kathy. And hi, Amy. Um, and oh, speaking of Amy, Amy, I'm going to put Amy on the spot. Amy might be a guest. Oh, excellent. Yes. Yep. In terms of women's health and, and wellness, she is a fitness trainer, nutritional trainer, et cetera, extraordinaire. So she will hopefully be joining us. Hey, Amy, I put you on the spot, so now you have to do it. <laughs> She's going to kill me. Um, so, but I love it. She, um, but I hope that people could gain something out of this today because um, the biopsychosocial model is so important. And we are just such a country still of big pharma and stigma attached to um, doing other things outside of fixing ourselves on our own volition. And I'm such a big encourager of educate yourself, know that exercise and sunlight and connecting with people and getting off the couch. It's not just me pushing that. It's literally the standard of treatment for most things. Because exercise it's, it's and what changes our whole body chemistry, which is the biomedical piece. We don't need yeah. always we don't always need a medication to fix us exercise and sleep are two of the most important things yep. in in dealing with these issues and by exercise give you the best performance listen i go to the gym you obviously go to the gym it we're I not even not talking about that just spend the day just spend time walking every day right, that, right. that's yeah you that's don't have the level of exercise get out in the sun and walk. walk right yeah. all you have to do is get outside and walk yeah. Walk down to the end of the street today, make it a quarter mile, make it a tenth of a mile. I don't care if you haven't gotten up, but every day add something in. And all of a sudden, it, it, there is something to be said for fake it till you make it because people, and I learned this beautiful lesson when I was way back in the 1990s when I first started my practice and stuff. My supervisor, God rest his soul, now um, Fred Silverstone, he, um, used to, he used to say, you know, like, Oh, I just, I was thinking of him and I lost it. Do you see that just yep. go out of my head? I was just thinking about him passing last year. Um, he, you know, he used to talk about faking it till you make it and how people would, when I first started, he'd say, people will tell you all the time that when I feel better, I'll start doing it. Oh, that yeah. never happens. No, that's not the, that's and not that the process. Stuck with yeah. me since 1995 that that doesn't happen. People don't, you have to do the feeling will catch up and, 
he was so spot on. He had, I, I have four or five things from him that were always golden nuggets to me that I just have. And it's just, that was always, the, you know, mm -hmm. one, it's simple and probably lots of people know it, but gosh, yeah. get and out We've there. talked about it a couple of times. It happened to me just the other day. It's like, I didn't want to go to the gym. Right. And I said, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to do this. That's all I'm going to do. Right. And just, and you get in there and you do it and you just keep going. Right. Because it, it's just, it's just a good feeling. It's just, you want to keep going because I was feeling guilty about not going. I was feeling guilty about not wanting to go. Right. And when I went and I said, yeah, great. I got it done. You know, and it's like, just right. walk in the gym, just get there and, well, and things are going to take care of themselves. You know, and, 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 and it doesn't just, so I have no problem telling you that like yesterday for me, I didn't get out of work last night until almost seven something, mm -hmm. which is early actually for me. And because I have this little munchkin, <laughs> I had to bring him. He was with me at work. I had to bring him home first because I can't take him to the gym. Yep. And I hadn't gotten to the gym yesterday because um, I started work early, early. And so I was like, oh, man. And I got home and kiss to death is go home first. And you're like, uh, I yeah. just want to sit down. But I've been sitting all day. So what I did was I got home and I was like, mm. and I had that brain conflict, the cognitive dissonance, like sit. Yep have dinner or go to the gym. And I just didn't sit. And I was like, here's the dog. And I, and I put my stuff on and just forced myself. Yep. And I had to force myself last night and I got there and I was there till nine 15. But the, yeah, that didn't last. Right. It you was, know, once you get I just made sure I got back in the car and went back and you know, and it's literally five miles from my house. It's not a big <laughs> deal. And it's not like I had to drive, but there are days. No, when sometimes just, it is it, a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. And even for me, who is an avid person in exercise and all things physical, I was like, I don't want to do this. But I knew if I didn't, I was going to physically feel horrific. And, and then I went and you know what it did? It changed my eating habit last night. It yep. changed my sleeping habit last night. It changed my wake up this morning and get up and go, which is I'm on fire feeling inside today. Like, Ooh, I'm ready yep. because I just changed my outlook yesterday. Cause I, if I'd sat, which I did, I sat all day, which is ugh, my kiss of death <laughs> in my job. And if I had just gone home and sat more, I would have been like, oh, this morning. And I would have been like, oh, fake it till you make it because there it is. But it's it's come so much more naturally when you just kind of do and fake till you make it last night or fake it till you make it the other day when you're like, I don't want to go to the gym. And this is a control issue, too. I'm processing this as we go through it, because yesterday when I felt like I didn't want to go to the gym, like to the point where I'm in the parking lot, and I don't want to go in. And right. it's like I wasn't going to give up that control. That, that's what it came down to right. for me. I'd have been pissed at myself if right. I didn't go in because that was my body or my mind taking control, control. of the situation. Right. I wasn't going to let that happen. It's your negative yeah. thinking. It's that yeah. narrative that you have in your head of like, ah, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. Yeah. So, so in that, remember it's cause you just, you just kind of did a little bit of what I'm talking about with like, Oh, it's, you know, it's this thing that it's this thing. No, it's your thought. It's a thought that like, I don't really want to do this. Yeah. I'm tired. I'd rather go home and you know, blah, 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 or whatever. But it's your thinking that just gets in your way. Yep. And you have to sort of put that aside and just do. Take control. No thinking, yeah. do. No try, there's yeah. only do. I have lots of clients that always now say that because I'll say, there's no try, there's do. And oftentimes this discussion revolves around something big like losing 50 pounds or right. whatever it is. But Or, or, but, or putting down alcohol or putting down a yeah. cigarettes. Or it has but to these do real battles are done on a moment-to-moment -moment basis right. in small pieces. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I was looking because... I. You haven't heard from Rocky. No, he was growling back there a little bit for a while. But Well, that's because he took my shoes off my feet <laughs> and ran out into the hallway that you can't see. And now he's passed out. <laughs>
Yeah, he chew, chewing on your shoes. He, yeah, he chewed on my shoes. <laughs> but it gave him a toy. So That's right. yay, it wasn't my hand. Yep. So anyway, so um, if anyone has questions, thoughts, concerns, happinesses, how I always in my class yeah. certainly let me know and people will but um you know hopefully you get something good out of this biopsychosocial bio piece of depression anxiety addiction eating etc um and and really going out there there's there's some really good books that um sort of speak to the issue not a biopsychosocial model but um if you're if you like to read um there's a book and I'm trying to remember the author. His first name is Dr. Ian, and I can't remember his last name because I got three in my head. But it's mass. It's your. It's called Master and your em and it and it's emissary. It's about your brain. I'm probably messing up the name of it, but it just popped into my head because there's a great podcast that has a theme of this as well that I that I follow. Um, uh, that from out in California with a couple PhDs and a medical doctor that talk about all the same kind of stuff I talk mm -hmm. about. Um, uh, but they were mentioning it a while back and it's a really good read about how the right brain and the left brain are so uh, interconnected and how we are so left brain trained to go into this mode of, you know, be one-sided and one-sided only in my medical model, medical mm -hmm. model. Um, uh, I think it's called the master and it's emissary, but it's about how our brain pieces talk to each other. I have not read the whole book, but because I heard about it, I definitely started reading bits and pieces of it, which is what happens to me. But, you know, certainly that's out there. But there um, are plenty of sources. Eckhart Tolle, who you reference a lot, is a good source. Eckhart Tolle is a fantastic source mm -hmm. of the biosocial model of being able to be in the here and now and present and be with yourself and really work on having control of Having your own control. self and yeah. being willing to take um, accountability and responsibility. And I guess one of the last things I would say about this is what I said at the top of the hour, which is um, it's not chemistry and it's not character. It's the combination of chemistry and character together and don't blame your issues on your chemistry. Mm -hmm. Do something about it because you actually have the ability to. Don't buy into your brain and your family and your friends and your environment telling you that you have no control. That is not true. You are the master of your destiny, as cliche as it sounds you are. Mm -hmm. And you have every ability to change that. But you have to want to. Don't jump in the back seat. Keep your hands right. on the wheel. Don't take your hands off the wheel. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so everyone this week, have a great week. Have a safe, happy holiday, um, 4th of July weekend. I hope everyone's doing something fun. Um, I'd announce what I'm doing, um, but I won't because then everybody will be coming to see me. Um, <laughs> and so I hope that everyone has a good time. And we will certainly talk about this, I'm sure, next week. And maybe I'll get Miss Amy on next week. We'll see. Ooh, do the good. show. Yep. Amy Wright. Amy, Amy. <laughs> um, everyone, thank you for listening today and have a great week. And Rocky says goodbye. <laughs>